0: Father God, we have come this morning as your people, people that are broken and wounded by this world, people that are fearful at our core. And Father, we long to be put back together. We long to be whole again. And so this morning we've come to hear from your word. We've come to learn of you, Lord Jesus, and to know how you are doing that and what you're going to do in our lives. Lord Jesus, we're thankful for Your life and Your death and Your resurrection. We thank You that You've defeated death on our behalf and that You lived a perfect life and You gave us Your righteousness that we can stand before God the Father as justified, as right before Him. What a great blessing that is and how that brings peace. So this morning, would we hear of that message would you teach us from your word and would we be different people as we leave the sanctuary this morning because we met with Jesus. We pray this in his name, amen. If you have your Bible, uh, you would, if you would turn with me to Mark chapter 6. This, is, this should be a familiar passage for you all. Dennis has been going through the gospel of Mark and he's um, uh, been away from it for a little while, but he preached on this passage Uh, This past summer, uh, and this is a passage that uh, means a lot to me, and I thought I might preach on it also this morning. But as you uh, turn in your Bibles, you're looking for this passage, I want you to think this morning, uh, what do you fear most in life? What is it in your life that can provoke fear in your soul? What are the circumstances uh, that you find yourself in, maybe this morning, maybe in the past, That causes you to be anxious and stressed uh, and to be paralyzed by your fear. This morning we're going to address that. Actually, Jesus is going to address that. And he does it in this passage. So let's stand in reverence to God's word and I'll read it. Uh, We're looking at Mark chapter 6, verses 45 through 52. Immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, where he dismissed the crowd. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased. And they were utterly astounded, for they did not understand the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. Thanks be to God. Let's pray again. Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you that you're good. Would you attend to the preaching of it? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Uh, Lifestyle and Media has been doing a survey for the past 11 years and they do a survey of the college campus and one of the famous questions they ask is what is the most in thing on the college campus and for 11 straight years unanimously the college students uh, agreed that not to surprise that alcohol was the most in thing on the college campus. Was the most uh, was the thing they looked forward to most when they went off to college, and that's very evident at the campus University of Arizona. And some of you uh, know that, since you have attended there, you've been in college. You knew that alcohol uh, had a great influence uh, on the things you did in college. But something changed in the year two thousand five. Something surpassed alcohol for the first time uh, in eleven years. The iPod became the most in thing on the college campus. Students unanimously voted, 73% of them said that the iPod was the coolest thing. Uh, And if you step on the college campus today, you will see that. It'll be represented as students, thousands of them are walking across campus, and they've got their white little earphones stuck in their ears. And they got their iPod on their hip, and they're going to class uh, and trying to avoid uh, anybody that's around them so they don't have to talk. And so being a good campus minister, I thought, well, maybe I should get an iPod. Uh, Maybe I should start listening to music. And so I did, and I got an iPod, and I started downloading music. But I wanted to understand, what are my students listening to? What voices are they hearing? And in the fall of 2006, a famous song came out by Brett Denon called Darling, Do Not Fear. Some of you know this song. It was a very popular song. You probably heard it on radio, Uh, Darling, Do Not Fear. Uh, And it's a beautiful song. Uh, It's very well written. It's very easy to listen to. And obviously, the students uh, were very into it. Uh, All my students knew about it. And so I started listening to the song. What's interesting about this song is that Brett uh, is dealing with this issue of fear. And he's promoting on how we might alleviate it or deal with our fear in our lives. And what he says is, just ignore it. Don't worry about it. It'll go away. well, that's nice, Brad, I appreciate that, but we know that's not true. Uh, it's a nice little philosophy, that it just doesn't work. And our fears just don't evaporate, they're there. And this morning, we're going to look at how Jesus deals with our fears. And I ask you this morning to think about, what is it that you fear the most? Where is your fear coming from? One of the, uh, my favorite stanzas in, in Brett Denon's A song goes like this. If you have a broken heart or a battered soul, find something to hold on to or to let go. To help you through the hard nights like a flask filled with hope, darling, do not fear what you don't really know. Uh, What a beautiful uh, written stanza. And my favorite part is where he says, to help you through the hard nights like a flask filled with hope. Another question I have for you this morning is, when those hard nights come, when those hard days come, What flask are you drinking from? Where are you going to quench your thirst? This morning, uh, hopefully, we'll look at how Jesus does that. The way I want to outline my sermon is that there's a, a reason for fear and there's a remedy for fear. Those are my two points. There's a reason for fear and there's a remedy for fear. But first, let's talk about the context. What's happening in our passage Uh, We've been going through the Gospel of Mark down at the University of Arizona. And what I've been teaching my students is that Mark is actually in a hurry. There's a reason why Mark's Gospel is the shortest. Because he's in a hurry to get to Jesus' death and resurrection. Because he understands that in Jesus' death and resurrection is where we are going to find peace, where we are going to know the great God of the universe. That that is where redemption takes place. Is in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, and so Mark is in a hurry to get to there. But the first half uh, of Mark's gospel, he is slowly uh, unfolding who Jesus is as a person, and I think it's very right that um, Dennis's series on Mark is called "The Real Jesus," because Mark is really trying to articulate who the real Jesus is, and I would submit to you that the first. Uh, basically seven chapters, uh, Mark or Peter through his sermons, is trying to reveal that Jesus is the Messiah, that he is the anointed one. He is the one that was promised in the garden to come and to remedy uh, God's people of their sins, to remedy them of their fears, to do away with all their problems. And he slowly and slowly through miracles uh, and through parables, he's revealing that Jesus is the Messiah. He's the one that's promised. He's the great prophet, priest, and king. And we see that in the, the passage right before our passage, where Jesus feeds the 5,000. Uh, you know, uh, Moses in the Old Testament was a type of Jesus. He prefigured Jesus. He, was, he, would, he uh, showed forth what Jesus would be like, in some senses. And yet, he wasn't Jesus. And we know, in Numbers chapter 11, there's a passage where Israel grumbles against God's people, or yeah, Israel grumbles against God, excuse me, because they're hungry, and they want food, and Moses cries out, and God gives them food, manna from heaven, and he feeds them, and they're not satisfied, right, they want meat, we want quail, can't you give us meat, and so God does that, God feeds his people, and that's the point in, uh, in this passage right before us, is that God, Jesus comes as the Messiah, and he feeds his people. He gives them what they want. And he does it in a miraculous way, showing forth that he is the Messiah. He is the one that was promised from the garden that is to come and to remedy all these things. And yet the disciples are confused. And we see that at the very end. They don't get it. They're still uh, stumbling over who this person is. And yet Jesus does something else to reveal that he is the true Messiah. He is the one that that has come uh, to remedy us of our problem. Now, let's get back to uh, our outline. The reason for fear. If we're going to understand how Jesus remedies our problem with fear, where does fear come from? Well, first of all, I want to submit to you in our passage uh, that I think is pretty pretty clear uh, is that fear comes from the outside. There are things in this world that create fear in our heart. If you would look at me in verse 47, it says this, And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. He meant to pass by them. But when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out. Now what's happening? Well, Actually, the disciples had just come back from doing uh, miraculous things. We see that in the very, uh, right before, well, in the passage before. That they're tired and they're exhausted. And Jesus wants to send them away. So he sends them away, and this group comes and he feeds them. And they're exhausted and they're tired. And so Jesus is trying to get them away from the crowd to give them peace, to, to get away and to relax and actually to feed themselves and to recuperate. And so he sends them across to Bethsaida, which is actually about, from where they are in Capernaum, is about 2.5 miles across the Sea of Galilee. That's not too far. It's not an enormous amount uh, of, uh, of uh, space of land to, to travel over or water. And yet he sends them away. And yet they get on the sea and they go, and this great storm comes up or the winds come up. And they're making headway painfully, says the scriptures. And actually the word there is torturing. The winds are torturing God's people as they're trying to make their way across the Sea of Galilee. And they're struggling greatly. And there's no doubt that they're experiencing fear, that they're afraid. I mean, the disciples just experienced something, you know, a couple chapters earlier, where Jesus comes out to them and walks on the water and it's the same, or Jesus in the boat, excuse me, Jesus in the boat, and the storm comes up, and they're afraid. And what we need to understand is, uh, in this time period, water, a body of water, provoked massive amounts of fear, because it was unstable. There was an unknown about it. And when so people got on the water, um, it, you know, it provoked fear inside of them. Now, that's not something that I'm just thinking of. If you have your Bible, turn with me to Revelation chapter 21 real quick this famous passage about Jesus coming back, the new heavens and new earth. And listen to what it says in the first verse. It says this, Then I, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth have passed away, and the sea was no more. Uh, now what is John saying there? Is John saying that when the new heavens and new earth come Down or when Jesus returns, there's not going to be any more water? There's not going to be more sea? No, he's not saying that. He's using that to, to articulate there's not going to be more fear because bodies of water provoke massive amounts of fear in people's lives during this time period. And there's no doubt as we look at this passage, as these disciples are making their way across to Bethsaida and it's taking them a long time, and it shouldn't take them a long time, you know, Jesus sees them in the fourth watch of the night around 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. It's taking them a long time to get across the Sea of Galilee because these winds are coming against them. The winds are torturing them, and they're afraid. And the point that I want to articulate or show you is that there are things outside of us that create fear. This world is broken. It doesn't work the way it's supposed to do because those that are here to care for creation are broken themselves. And so as you move out into this world and you experience things, frustration, torture, uh, you know what I mean by that word. You know that, that it's because the world is not working the way it's supposed to work. Some of you in, the, in here this morning are afraid because of... Um, how volatile the market is right now. The economy is a huge issue. Some of you know it a lot better than I do. Uh, And it's creating fear and anxiety, and you have no control over it. And yet, you're afraid. Some of you in here uh, have family members that have cancer. And deep down in your your soul, uh, you're afraid to admit that you might get cancer because it's in your family and you're afraid you're afraid of that some of you in here are afraid of rejection you have tried to move out in this world to be successful in some job or some relationship and yet every time you turn around you're rejected and you're afraid this world is broken I remember when I was in college I came home from a Bible study one night, and I lived in this duplex. It wasn't very fancy. Uh, it was a great place because it was very cheap. Uh, and uh, I, come, I, come, I come home one night and find out that uh, I had been broken into, that somebody had ripped out my, the air conditioner in my window and stormed into my house and ransacked my house. And I'll never forget that feeling as I opened that window and stepped inside, unlocked my door and opened, not my window, opened my door. I don't go into a window. (laughs) That would be weird. Uh, Opened the door and looked inside and saw my house just ransacked. I mean, everything was turned over. Things ripped off the wall. Uh, I went into my bedroom. My bed was overturned. My dresser was thrown on the ground. Somebody had gone through my house looking for something, anything. And I remember feeling this overwhelming sense of uh, uneasiness and fear. And some of you in here uh, know what that feels like. You've been violated yourself. And that experience that I had in college has shaped the way I view safety my whole life. I still experience fear when I leave my wife and my children by themselves. When I go away to training because of that experience. When I go to uh, the library to work and my wife and my children are at home by themselves, because of that event, uh, there's fear inside of me that I don't like to admit, don't like to talk about, but it's there and it's real. Some of you in here have experiences like that. You've been treated unjustly or you've been violated in some way that's unspeakable and that's shaped the way you've lived your life. And it's all because you live in a broken world. Things don't work the way they're supposed to. And the people that you relate to are broken themselves. They're fractured. Now, I want to suggest to you this morning that the fear that we experience because of the world being broken outside of us is just a symptom to a deeper problem that our fear really has to come from the inside. It's because we ourselves are broken. We ourselves don't work the way we're supposed to work. From the very beginning, when, when Adam and Eve disobey God, and they seek to be God themselves, one of the first things we learn about when sin enters the world is that they're afraid. They run and hide themselves from God. Fear is one of the purest manifestations of the fall. That you're afraid at your core, that you're broken and that you're shattered. Uh, for those of you in here that are visual learners, one way I like to think about this is that imagine yourself being a windshield. How many of you have ever seen a windshield? You got those in your car, but how many of you have you ever seen a windshield that's just fractured, that's been smashed? by some outside source of some wreck. That's really who we are in some senses. That you're a windshield. You're still intact. You're still a human being. You know, when you see a fractured windshield, it's still a windshield. It's not something else. And yet it's been broken. It's shattered. It's missing pieces. There are many, many cracks that run through it. And that's who we are. We're still human beings. We're still created in the image of God, and yet the rock of sin has smashed into our soul and cracked us deeply. And we're hurting people. And one of the purest manifestations of that is fear. And it's very clear in our passage that these disciples are afraid. <clears throat> Larry Crabb's book... Uh, Men and Women Enjoy the Differences is a great book, and I would highly recommend it for those of you that are trying to understand who I am as a man or who I am as a woman, and how do I move out into this world and be faithful to who God has made me. And he makes uh, this distinction it's very helpful for me. And he talks about how the fall has affected men and women differently, and he articulates it very well through the Scripture. And one of the ways uh, that fear is manifested Uh, in men's lives is that we're we're afraid that we're insignificant. You know, so we're we're created as men to move out into this world and to influence this world And everything we do. That's what really gets to the core of who we are. That's what makes us feel like a man. We move out into this world and we want to be men. I want to be the man, if you will. You know, and some of the men know that. Because that's how you're created. And so you move out in this world, in your job, in your relationships, and whatever you're doing, to be the man. To influence this world, to have power over others. To have people come up to you and say, I'm a better person because I know you. You have meant so much to me. Or you have taught me so much. I mean, that gets to the, the core of who we are, guys. Because that's how we're created. And yet, because of the fall, that is frustrated over and over again. And we have this deep sense of fear. And that fear is manifested in the sense that we feel inadequate, that we're not the man, that we have no influence on anybody. We feel unsatisfied with ourselves because we look around and nobody really is influenced to the better because they know us. And that hurts. And there's fear inside of there that I'm not the man anymore. Now, I'm going to take a point. This is what we call personal privilege in the Presbyterian circles to talk about this because I think it's vastly important. Uh, There is not another job that I know of or a calling that I know of that struggles with this more than your pastor's. I mean, the very essence of who we are is to influence who you are. God has called us to be His man to you and to teach you His word and to influence you that way. And when that doesn't happen, we are the most fragile, insecure people you will ever meet. Now, I say, that, say this because I want to encourage you. you know, Dennis is not here this morning. And praise Jesus, he's not because I get to preach. But I want to say that because you as a congregation need to know that about your pastor. That he's not Superman. He can't just uh, do what he does and not receive encouragement. He needs you to love him. He needs you to speak into his life and say, You have meant so much to me. I am a better person because of what you have done. He needs that. And you need to do that. He needs uh, you as a congregation to love him and to love his family. Dennis is a beautiful person and he loves Jesus and he faithfully preaches the word. And I know without a doubt that there are many of you in here that have been influenced through his preaching, through his teaching, through his wisdom. And all I'm, doing, all I'm asking for you to do is to sh- share that with him on a regular basis because he needs to know that. Because he himself is a cracked and fractured person and afraid that he's inadequate, that he's not doing a good job, that he's not influencing you. And the same thing with me. I mean, you know, don't hear what I'm not saying. You know, don't berate me at the end and and tell me I'm the greatest person ever. That's not my point. You know, but when I teach or when I move out on the college campus and, and teach these students, there's nothing that I long for more than to hear the student say, I get it now. The way you've, the way you've articulated that or, or taught me, I understand better. And that means so much because I'm a man and I'm created that way. And yet, because of the fall, uh, we're fractured as guys and we feel inadequate. We feel like we're not moving out into the world and influencing people. I'll get off my soapbox now. Um, but how about you ladies? In what way has the fall affected you? How has is, how is your fear manifested? Uh, well, Larry Crabb would say, and I would agree, is that you have an overwhelming sense of not being safe. You're not safe. You long to be safe in this world, and you know that you're not. You see the world around you, and you feel uh, unstable. And you're just not at peace, and you're you're not feeling safe with where you are. And that's because you're fractured. Because you move out into this world, ladies, to influence the world by nurturing those around you. That you bring people into your life to love on them. You welcome them into your house. to to, to nurture and to influence uh, these other ladies in your churches. And you do it because you want to feel safe. And you have this nagging voice, this nagging feeling in your soul that you don't feel that, that you're not safe. And this is why um, in the household, ladies, you struggle to not let your husband have control. Because the more control you have, the safer you feel. And yet, your husband is is not at home because he's at work, because that's where he feels most uh, that he's influenced the world. He's at his job, and he's not at home, and he's not there caring for you and meeting your needs and seeking to, to make you feel safe. We're broken deeply inside because of the fall. And this world is broken because of the fall. Uh, Ralph Waldo Emerson wrote this. Fear defeats more people than any other thing in this world. Now, I don't believe in, in transcendentalism, and I'm not a huge Ralphie fan, as his friends call him. Um, but I think he's, he's, he's right in what he's saying. That we're defeated as people because of the fears that we have in our soul. And we're broken. Now how does Jesus remedy that? How do we remedy these fears in our hearts, in our lives? Well, I'm going to suggest there's two ways that we go about it. Actually, three ways that we go about it. Two of which are not helpful. And one of which is very helpful. The first way we we, we try to deal with our fears is we suppress them. We try to push them down. The feeling of feeling inadequate or the feeling of not feeling safe, we try to ignore it and get on with our lives. We know that nagging voice comes up on a regular basis. And so what do we do? We suppress it. And these are the people that get massively busy. They're constantly, constantly doing something. Over and over, they're at, their, they're at their work all the time. They have experiments that they're doing all the time. Uh, they're at, they have some project at home they're doing all the time. And they can't stop and just be at peace. Because they don't want to hear that nagging voice that tells them uh, that they're wrong or something is, is not right with them. These are your classic workaholics. People that are constantly doing something. They, don't want, they want to suppress that voice. These are the people that never can be alone, that always have to be with somebody, that always trying to do something, and they can't just sit by themselves and reflect on their lives. Uh, these are the people that numb their fears by some kind of outside source. Those of you in here that struggle with drinking, you're numbing a lot of uh, your fears inside. You're trying to get away from it. By some kind of substance abuse, by, by drinking, by drugs, by sex, by video games. Some of the, the younger generation, we, we constantly are plugged into our computer and, and watching video games, playing video games. Or we, we, we constantly shop. We're consumers. We're very active in what we're doing. We're, we're constantly, constantly, constantly doing something. And what's funny about this approach on how we deal with our fears is we become isolated. And we become isolated because we become very angry. Because we can't get rid of that voice. It's not going away. You know, Brett's philosophy of just ignore it doesn't work, and you know it. That voice will not go away, and you're angry because it's not leaving you. And you get frustrated, and you isolate yourself because of your anger. Now another way that we seek to deal with our fears is we seek to overcome them. And this is what we find in the church more and more prevalent is we get really busy with our religion. Uh, We try to overcome those those voices in our soul that tells us that we're not right, or we're broken, by trying to be a better and better person. I wake up in the morning, I try to be a good person. You know, I need to do the right thing over and over and over again. I'm trying to seek to overcome by being a better and better person. And the funny thing is, this ends the same way. This person becomes very conceited because they do the right thing in their minds. They do the right thing uh, and they think everybody else should be doing the right thing. And they look down upon that person and they become very self righteous. These are the people that go to every Bible study that's ever offered because they have to do it. They have to be doing something. And they're very judgmental toward each other or, or towards you. Now, that, you, know, you might be saying, well, that's wonderful. Uh, I'll have to think and evaluate. Who am I struggling with that? Uh, and I have a litmus test that I want to share with you this morning to help you understand, are you one of those people? Are you seeking to overcome it? or are you seeking to suppress it? I want to ask you to answer this question to yourself. This is rhetorical. When somebody gives you constructive criticism, how do you deal with it? What's your approach to constructive criticism? When somebody comes to you and says, hey, brother, that's not right. Or, hey, sister, that's not how it ought to be. How do you deal with that? What's your first response? Are you angry? Uh, do you become very self-righteous? How dare that person confront me? Have you seen you know, what's, what they're doing in their lives? How do you deal with constructive criticism? And secondly, and even more important, uh, how do you give constructive criticism? When you talk to somebody, uh, do they feel crushed? Do they feel beaten up by you? When you go to somebody and you say, Brother, you shouldn't be doing that. It's not healthy for you nor the church. Sister, come away from there. You don't need to be there. It's not good for your soul. Do they feel crushed by you? Do you move in as a very judgmental person? I will suggest to you in the morning, if, if, if both of those uh, you can answer in the affirmative... Then you're probably trying to seek uh, or to overcome, or, or suppress or to overcome your fears, and you're not being successful. And it's because you're just an angry, bitter person because you can't deal with them, and they're not going away. So, how does Jesus deal with our fears? Well, it's plain in our passage. The first thing we see uh, is that Jesus sees our fears. Look in verse uh, 48, and he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. Uh, this This is the beautiful thing about the gospel, is that Jesus has entered in, that he's here with you, that he sees your fears, he sees your problems, your struggles. He knows them. And in more profound, your God can relate to you in them because he was perfectly human, perfectly man. And he relates to your fears. He knows those fears. He sees what's going on in your life. And you don't have to keep running from him. You don't have to keep working harder and harder and harder to overcome your fears or to suppress them. Because you have a God that sees them and has entered in with you in your struggle. He has come near to you. And I would argue that He's come near to you in the most profound way in the church. That He's here with you in this body to strengthen you and to encourage you. So, first, He sees your fears. He knows them and he can relate to them. But secondly, how does he deal with our outside fears? Um, well, he's overcome them. Uh, if you have your Bible, if you want to turn with me to John chapter 16 and listen to what Jesus says in verses 32 and 33. He says, Behold, the hour is coming, indeed it has come, when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and will leave him alone. Yet I am not alone, for the God is with me. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. But take heart, I have overcome the world. What is he saying? He's saying that he's a great king. That Jesus is the promised king that was come to defeat all ours and his enemies. And all the brokenness you see around that that you're afraid of, that keeps you in your house, that keeps you in a safe place. Jesus has overcome that. Our shorter catechism talks about how uh, Jesus being a king How does Jesus execute the office of a king? Well, Jesus executes the office of a king as subduing uh, us to himself and ruling and defending us and restraining and conquering all his and our enemies. He's overcome the world. There's nothing outside of us that we move out into that has any right to identify who we are or to claim rights over us. Jesus has overcome the world. Now, I'm going to take another point of uh, personal privilege, um, because I like to. Uh, This is hard for us to understand. This is a struggle for us. And it's a struggle for us because we're Americans (laughs) and we're individuals. Uh, We have to understand that, at our core, that your life is not your own. It doesn't belong to you anymore. You know, in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 20, it says that Jesus bought your life with a price. You belong to Him. And He has every right over your life to do with you what He will, says Romans chapter 9. You don't belong to yourself. Since when did your time become your own? It's not yours. It's Jesus's. Because He owns your life. He has the rights Over you to do with you what He will. Now that might itself might produce fear unless we understand the gospel. And that is that God that has rights over your life is good. And he moves out into your life in a uh, benevolent way. He's good to you and has all uh, the best intentions for your life at hand. And you can rest in Him and know that it's all going to be okay because your God is good and He loves you. And He's defeated all His and our enemies. Secondly, how does He deal with our inside brokenness? Well, He deals with our inside brokenness by going to the cross. He lives a perfect life a life that you couldn't live. He does something for you that you can't do for yourself. And He lives it perfectly. And He goes to the cross and He gives of His life for you. His wrath is poured out upon Him. God's wrath is poured out upon Him because of your sin. And yet on the third day, He's raised again to defeat uh, the death and the power of sin. And He's Actively through the gospel, putting you back together. He's putting you piece by piece back together. He's taking your your fractured soul in His hands and He's molding it back together by means of His Holy Spirit. Because you have been reconciled to Him, and His Spirit has been poured out into your life, and He's changing you, He's redeeming you on a daily basis. Guys, how does this manifest it in our lives? Well, we feel inadequate. We feel broken. I don't know where else you could feel more significant or experience significance or uh, being adequate than knowing that, that there is a God out there that has come near and that has loved you, that has given his life for you and has said, you are mine. And I love you. And you don't need to run from me. Ladies, about feeling safe. How do we deal with that problem of of being cracked inside and not feeling safe? We have a God that's defeated all yours and his enemies. There's nothing more in this world that can, can claim rights over your life or do something to you eternally that isn't of the hand of God. And you belong to him. And there's great peace and comfort that comes with that. Lastly, uh, I just want to say this and we can close. Uh, don't hear what I'm not saying. And don't hear what the scripture's not saying. Uh, your fears are going to be with you. If you this morning rest in Jesus alone, it doesn't mean that your fears are going to be uh, go away or evaporate. Christ is in a process, sanctifying you, putting you back together uh, daily. And your fears will not be alleviated or they're not going to go away until Jesus comes back and makes things new. And some of you in here are saying, yeah, I appreciate what you said this morning, but, but where was Jesus when I was treated with injustice? Where was Jesus when I was violated? Where was Jesus when I was wounded? Where was Jesus when I was mocked or shunned in this world? I want to say He was there with you. And I want to point you to Him. Because He Himself was treated unjustly. He Himself was mocked and shunned. He Himself was broken for you that you might be put together, that your fears might one day be gone. This morning I want to encourage you, as you come across those hard nights and those hard days, that you would, that you would drink fully of the flask of the gospel and see this Jesus that loves you and is putting you back together and that can deal with your fears in a way that you can't deal with them by yourself. Let's pray. Father, I thank You for Your Gospel. And I thank You for Your Word. And I thank You that You are a good God. When You've met all our needs in Jesus. That we are significant and that we are safe in You. Because we belong to You. Father, we thank You for these elements that we are about to partake, would you speak to us through them? Would you comfort our souls? Would you give testimony to the gospel that you are a good God, that you've redeemed us by your blood? I thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.